Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have one of our Bibles from the welcome table, it's on page 1039. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33 as we finish up chapter 5 today. Paul's moving from instructing uh, on how to live, uh, from instructing new believers, these Gentile believers, on how to live worthy of their calling within the church as a community of faith to now instructing them on how to live worthy of their calling in the home as a household of faith. Now, this particular section ends in, in verse 9 of chapter 6, and originally I was going to preach through all of that in one Sunday, but there's a, there's a lot to go through here, and so I want to, uh, to slow down enough so that we can receive this uh, in, in grace and humility, and I'm going to split this up over two parts. So this week is... is titled, Our Home, Christ's Home, Part 1, okay? And next week will be Part 2. Today's passage has the potential to be a a contentious one as it relates to issues that seem to dominate our our current cultural moment, and unfortunately, it tends to also be a a focal point of discomfort and tension uh, in the church as well. And so as we work our way through these verses this morning, before we even jump into the passage, I I feel like that we just need to... to, um, to agree on some things together, okay? That we need to keep a few things in mind if we're going to benefit from from God's word here this morning. And and, and first and foremost, we need to remember that we're dealing with the word of God here. This is God's word. It's infallible. It's it's without error in the original documents because God never lies, Titus 1-2. And all scripture is God-breathed comes from the mouth of God. It's inspired by his Holy Spirit who guided men along as they wrote and spoke God's words, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Earlier this year, we looked at the discipline of of textual criticism. You remember, we we sort of nerded out on that. And we saw the overwhelming amount of evidence that, that a majority of our modern day English translations, including the one that we use here, are highly accurate and faithful to the original documents. And so it would be intellectually dishonest for us to say that the Bible we hold in our hands this morning is unreliable. And every part of it is able to give us wisdom for salvation and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for training, for correcting us so that we can be fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17. And that we have everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. So if we deny the infallibility, if we deny the reliability, if we deny the sufficiency of Scripture, then we open ourselves up to the possibility of rejecting the truth that's clearly presented to us and that's meant to give us life. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We would do well to remember that this morning. And we need to remember that Scripture never enables us to continue in a sinful way of life. Instead, it equips us to live in Christ-like holiness. That means that all of the commands in the Bible are given to that end, no matter how difficult, no matter how unfair, no matter how confusing they may seem at first. Every command of Scripture is meant to undo the sinful distortions of the created order and to restore what God has established from the beginning. We need to remember that our tendency is to want to read each other's mail rather than to pay attention to what's addressed to us. It's easy to read this passage and think, man, I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this. 
But we need to understand that Scripture is always designed to first be a mirror into our own hearts before we ever use it to look at our neighbor. We must first remove the plank from our own eye before we're able to help our neighbor remove the splinter in his or hers. We need to remember that a fallen society in a darkened world will never be able to define or display the human interpersonal relationships as purely or truthfully as God's word does. And that even in our best earthly examples, they fall short of perfectly following Paul's instructions in this passage. We have a tendency to filter our understanding of what we read and hear through our own experience of that thing. But when we do that with Scripture, we have it backwards. We must be careful not to let our own experiences and or our society define the meaning of this text that we're going to read this morning. Neither you nor I nor our current society was even around. We didn't even exist when this text was written, and that means that we have no authority to assign meaning to it. We need to draw the meaning out of it and then apply that meaning to our lives. We must submit ourselves first to the Lord by humbly receiving his implanted word, James 1.21, and let the text inform us in the truth and show us where our experiences in our society have fallen short of God's perfect design. And finally, we need to remember that context is key, right? I haven't even said it this morning, but we all know this is a marriage passage, if you've read this, right? But this is so much more than a marriage passage. We need to understand that the instructions that Paul gives here flow from his command at the beginning of chapter 4 in this letter that he wrote to the Ephesians to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's not just for people in the church. It's for relationships in the home. And they flow from his command at the beginning of chapter 5 to be imitators of God as dearly loved children who walk in love. And they flow from his command to be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. These commands that we're going to hear this morning are rooted in our identity in Christ and in our loving relationship with the triune God. And they're directed toward the unique roles that God has created for each member of the family to carry out in love for one another to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians chapter 1. By now you've probably read our mission statement on the banner behind me. Our mission as a church is to bring Jesus glory by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel with the realities of our lives. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in this passage. Christ is the central focus, and, and the commands that Paul gives here are designed to help his readers apply their newfound gospel realities to the current cultural realities of their lives so that Christ is exalted in their relationships with one another. So with all that in mind, I want to read this passage, and then I want to pray for God's grace to help us receive it, and then we'll dig in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ... 
So also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. Without either of those, we would be without hope, without life, without you. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would humble us to receive this as your word to us for our good from our God who is good and that you would give us hearts that willingly submit ourselves to Christ in obedience through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nobody really likes authority unless you're the one who's in it. Right? Now, we can all recognize the need for authority. We can see how how that's beneficial in in different structures. But deep down, we don't really want to submit ourselves to someone else's leadership. And that's because the root of sin is the pride of, and deception of, of self-sovereignty. Sin makes unbelievers think, nobody has authority over me but me. And sin makes believers think, nobody has authority over me but God and me. Right? Remember, it's sin. And even as believers, we have sin that remains, and so we still, the root of that authority... That's the battle. Yes, God says this, but. And so when we come to a scripture passage like the one we're in today, our tendency is to want to interpret it to our own advantage rather than seeking to understand what God wants for us and why. And to see that that's actually better than anything that we could come up with on our own. But we need to understand this passage is not about personal advantage. This passage is not about superiority versus inferiority. It's not about privilege and power. It's not about promoting inequality. If anything, Paul actually emphasizes and raises up the dignity and worth of those who were easily devalued and overlooked by the society in his day. This passage is about humility and love and obedience to Christ that seeks to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the marriage relationship between a husband and wife. And so here's our main thought for this morning. If we want to have unity in marriage, and we should, then we must mutually submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. And that means that by his grace, then we seek to be obedient to God in the roles that he has given us for marriage. He calls wives to joyful submission, not mindless subservience, And he calls husbands to self-sacrificial leadership, not self-promoting dictatorship. 
We're going to start with wives because that's what Paul starts with. God calls wives to joyful submission, not mindless subservience. Read, uh, look at verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now I know, I've already said that word submit. Even just one time. And, and there's, it comes with all kinds of negative connotations when we think of it in, in terms of, of 21st century cultural norms. But we need to look at it from its first century context so we can understand how Paul is using this term here. The, the Greek term that Paul uses for submit has this connotation of, of, and we talked about this last week because it's at the end of, cha- of verse 21. It's this connotation of voluntarily yielding oneself to another in love. In the ancient Greco-Roman society, the household centered around the patriarch and everyone else was considered subordinate to him. That meant that the wife was expected to submit to him whether she wanted to or not. But notice what Paul does here. He doesn't upend the household framework. He maintains that framework, but he upends the cultural perception of people within that framework. Paul elevates the value and the dignity of those that culture devalues, and he also elevates the beauty of the roles within the family structure in a way that magnifies Christ as the ultimate authority. So he doesn't say, wives... Submit to your husbands as the Greeks and the Romans expect you to. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Paul wants them to look beyond the the poor, uh, short-sighted cultural example and expectations and to see the perfect spiritual example and expectations that they're given in Christ. They are to submit to their husbands as they would submit to Christ himself. Paul also doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because your husband is better than you. He says, submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That word head has been used multiple times, two other times already in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and in chapter 4. He uses the same Greek term in those verses that he does here in verse 23. It's this word kephale, okay? And in every case, kephale means authority over. And so in chapter 1, Jesus is appointed as kephale, as authority over everything for the church. In chapter 4, Paul urges the Ephesian believers to grow in every way into Christ who is the kephale, the authority over the whole body. And here in verse 23, the reason Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands is because the husband is the authority over the wife as Christ is the authority over the church. There's no example anywhere in scripture or any in any any other ancient Greek literature where one person is called the kephale of another person and it means anything other than authority over. Now as the church submits to Christ as its kephale, so also wives are to submit to their husbands as their kephale. Paul's not commanding every woman to submit to every man but rather each wife to submit to her own husband, to voluntarily yield in love in everything that fits 
within the context of their marriage and does not lead to sin. She's to voluntarily yield herself in love to her husband's leadership because God has given him to be her head, her kephale. You see, the husband's authority isn't merely a cultural establishment. It's a spiritual establishment. Paul's giving these instructions to Christians People who have put off the old self and, and, and put on the new. The old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires and, and, and the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. And as such, Paul is grounding their marriage relationship to one another in their new creation relationship to Jesus Christ. That means that their actions toward one another should be done in righteousness and purity of the truth. The kind of submission that Paul is describing here is not sinful. It's righteous. He's not condoning impure, the impure perspective of society. He's revealing the purity of God's design. He's not manipulating wives deceitfully. He's instructing them truthfully. It's the kind of submission that the church is to have toward Christ, and it's the kind of submission that Christ himself has toward God the Father. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about Christ's resurrection, his victory over death, and ultimate victory over all of his enemies, including death. And after mentioning that the Son will hand the kingdom over to the Father on the last day, Paul says this, when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself, will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Now that Greek term that Paul uses for subjection in 1 Corinthians 15 is the same Greek term he uses for submission in Ephesians 5. If Christ's submission to God the Father is good, then what Paul is describing here as the wife's submission to her husband must also be good. But that does not give the husband free reign to do as he pleases. Because God calls husbands to self-sacrificial leadership, not self-promoting dictatorship. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Notice how much more space Paul devotes to instructing the husband. When we look at the, 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 the way a, a letter is outlined, grammatically, literary, literarily, that's right. We would do well to pay attention to the, the amount of space that an author gives to a certain topic. 
And he devotes quite considerable more space to instructing the husband here than he does the wife. It's not because the husband is superior to the wife. It's because Paul is commanding the husband to do something entirely different than what he's used to do, to doing. Culturally speaking, the wife was already used to submitting to her husband because that's what was expected already by society. Paul wasn't telling wives to change their behavior as much as he was giving them a greater sense of purpose in it, connecting it to Christ himself. Their submission is now ultimately to Christ as their Savior, right? But society did not require the husband to love his wife in that culture. Isn't that ridiculous? And as a result, husbands often abused their authority for their own personal gain, and they were often tyrannical and abusive toward these women who were made in God's image. But Paul says to these husbands who are now new creations themselves in Christ, there is a better way. There is a better way. Don't dominate your wife. Imitate Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does that sound familiar to you? We read a verse really similar to that last week. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Husbands, love your wives dearly because Christ loves you dearly and gave himself up for you as a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth, and yet he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many. Remember that from Mark, from Mark's gospel? He didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. That's Philippians 2. This is the posture that husbands are to imitate and have toward their wives. A husband must love his wife with a self-sacrificing love that serves to promote her holiness. His headship is not meant to diminish her worth, but instead to display her full value, the glorious value she has as a daughter of God and a new creation in Christ. The purpose of his authority is to lead his wife in humility, not to himself, but to Christ who makes her holy. Christ has set the church apart for himself as his bride, and he's preparing her for the great wedding feast to come. When he returns for her, and on that day, Jesus will stand with his bride and present her to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, because until then, he continues to cleanse her spiritually by washing her with his word. What is his word? It's the word of truth, Ephesians 1, the gospel of our salvation. In Christ, 
Christ will make the church holy and blameless because God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him, Ephesians 1, 4. Jesus desires the holiness of his bride. And Paul says, so should earthly husbands desire the holiness of their earthly wives. And they ought to do everything they can to promote that holiness. To do so is to love your wife in the same way that Christ loves the church. To give yourself to that end. To serve her. So that she sees Christ clearly. And the beauty of the gospel. And once again, Paul takes the marriage relationship beyond the cultural establishment and directs his leaders to its spiritual foundation. Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Because in marriage, the two are united as one, just as Christ is united to the church as his own body. And no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. This is what Paul says. And then in verse 31, he quotes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This was said about Adam and Eve after God had taken the rib from Adam and then created Eve with it. And Adam looked at her and he said, this at last, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But keep in mind, this was before the fall happened in Genesis 3 which means that the complementary unity between husband and wife was established by God through the created order before sin had ever even entered into the picture. But Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 and he calls it a mystery that points to Christ and the church. He, he's already used that word mystery elsewhere in Ephesians when he referred to the mystery of the Gentile believers being co-heirs with the Jewish believers in chapter 3 members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Does that sound like inequality to you? Mystery, as Paul uses it, is a part of God's established redemptive plan that was once hidden, but it's now revealed in Christ. And when it comes to marriage, Paul shows his readers that God didn't merely apply the relationship between Christ and the church to the institution of marriage because it just so happened to relate to it. No, God designed the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife from the beginning to ultimately find its fulfillment in its revelation of the relationship between Christ and the church. In other words, God had Christ in the church in mind when he pulled that rib out of Adam and he formed Eve with it. Christ has so identified himself with the church that we are described as his own body, similar to the way Adam described Eve. And as a husband and wife become one flesh through marriage, the union of the two into one reveals the union between Christ the bridegroom and the church, his bride. That means that the roles in marriage are a product of God's original created design, not a sinful distortion of it. Paul never gives instructions that perpetuate sin. The Bible never does that for us. It never says, this is okay, go ahead and keep doing that. 
He gives them to correct what sin has corrupted. Remember, this is flowing out of, you, were, you, you put off the old self. You put on the new self in Christ. And so wives are to joyfully entrust themselves to their own husbands' leadership as the church submits to Christ. And husbands are to lead their wives with sacrificial love, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul restates it in verse 33. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, there's been a lot of self-help things based on that verse. This isn't saying that the wife doesn't need respect and the husband doesn't, the husband doesn't need love. It's not nuancing those things down. It's simply summarizing what Paul has said in the last 10 verses, and so it must be defined by what Paul has said in the last 10 verses. We've got to be careful not to turn this into a cycle of pragmatism. If I respect my husband, then he will love me. If I love my wife, then she will respect me. That way of thinking leads to behavioral manipulation that puts yourself as the ultimate beneficiary. How is that Christ-like? But Paul doesn't guarantee reciprocation. Paul doesn't say if you love your husband or if you respect your husband, he will love you. He doesn't say if you respect your wife or if you love your wife. She will respect you. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. It's not your job to make sure the other person is doing their part. What Paul lays out here is the creation ideal. But because of sin, that's not always the experienced reality, right? And yet, just as he called each member of Christ's body to do his or her part to build up the body in love, back in chapter 4, Paul calls each member in a covenant marriage to do his and her part to build one another up in love out of ultimate submission to Christ. There's two major ways that we distort this with our sin. The first is by being overly aggressive. Husbands are called to lead their wives in a manner that reflects the character and nature of Christ himself. That leaves zero room for a husband to abuse his authority by being domineering or tyrannical or by belittling his wife and denying the equality that she has with him as a child of God and a co-heir of Christ. Husbands, do you use the authority God has given you to lead your wife to a place of rest in Jesus where she can find her ultimate worth in him and not what she does for you? Do you use that authority as a means to promote her holiness and conformity to, to Christ? Or do you abuse that authority and try to impose your own will on her and make her feel like less of a person than you? This passage is not about your privilege. 
Wives are called to submit to their husbands in a manner that reflects the delight and the trust that the church has in Christ as its head. That leaves no room for a wife to resent and rebel against her husband when he's trying to lead her in humility and love, even when he does so imperfectly. Nor does it give her license to push him aside and take control, regardless of his own ability or inability to lead. Wives, do you delight in your husband's imperfect leadership while you rest in Christ's perfect leadership? Do you joyfully yield yourself to your husband in love and cheer him on because you know that it will ultimately lead to greater Christ-likeness for the both of you? Or do you criticize your husband for everything he does wrong and try to impose your own will on him and make him feel like less of a person than you? The other way we distort our God-given roles is by being overly passive in them. If we're overly aggressive, we swing the pendulum the other way. Husbands are overly passive when they never make any leadership decisions because they don't want to take responsibility for the consequences those decisions bring. Or when they're too lazy to take any initiative at all. Or when they think that the best display of self-giving love is to get out of the way completely and give their wives the freedom to make all the decisions. But that's not how Christ loves and leads the church. Wives are overly passive when they think that they have nothing to contribute to the decision-making process or when they believe that their thoughts don't matter because their husbands are going to do whatever they want to anyway or when they're unwilling to offer any words of correction and wisdom when they see their husbands acting in sin or struggling with indecision. But that mindset is actually a, a submission to the sinful distortion of marriage rather than to God and his good design for it. A husband will lead biblically when he considers not only his wife's spiritual needs as a child of God, but listen, also her spiritual wisdom as a sister in Christ. When he remembers that she's been given the same Holy Spirit that he's been given and she reads the same Bible that he does and he encourages her to speak the truth in love for him, that's not a one-way command. And he's leading biblically when he remembers that his conformity to Christ is inseparable from her conformity to Christ because she is one flesh with him. God has called the husband to lead with self-giving love and humility that invites, invites, not quells, invites his wife's participation in the decision-making process, but ultimately directs her in ongoing obedience to Christ. A wife is submitting biblically when she trusts God to lead her husband instead of trying to lead him herself. When she submits herself to the Lord first and trusts that her husband desires to obey Christ too. She's submitting biblically when she saturates her mind and her heart in scripture and she helps her husband to think about how the gospel applies to the decisions he makes before he makes them. And when she lovingly warns him of sin that she sees in him, and graciously reminds him of the beauty of forgiveness in Christ. God has called the wife to submit joyfully, intelligently, willingly, as she actively participates 
in the decision-making process, but ultimately invites her husband to lead in obedience to Christ. Now, we've spent a lot of time this morning focusing on those who are married because that's what the passage does, right? But we don't want to overlook those who aren't. So if you're a believer in here and you've never been married, this passage still applies to you because it's ultimately in the context of submission to Christ. Marriage is not the end all of relationships. It's a sign. It's the thing that points you to the thing. It's not the thing. Right? It's a sign that points you to the ultimate relationship between Christ and the church. If you, if you hope to get married someday, then use this passage to prepare yourself for marriage and the role that God has created for you. But listen, God calls some people to singleness, and that's not a sub-level thing. That's a benefit to the church. It doesn't make you less valuable than someone he calls to marriage. Christ is your bridegroom. And as a believer, you're spiritually united to all other believers in a fellowship that cannot be matched by anything else the world has to offer. So don't be passive in the church, but engage joyfully in building up the body of Christ in love and help prepare the bride for her bridegroom. We're going somewhere. For some of you, maybe this passage presses on the painful wounds of divorce. Right now you're looking back on your marriage with anger or bitterness or regret or guilt. That's understandable. I don't want that for you, but I understand that. But I wonder if God's brought you to this passage this morning, not to wound you, but to wash you. To lift your eyes to Christ, who loved you and gave himself up for you. Did you see and hear the gospel woven in throughout this passage? To see that Christ has not failed you, And he never will. He is forever faithful. Maybe God has brought you to this passage this morning to remind you that Christ is able to cleanse every spot and smooth out every wrinkle and make us stand before him in total splendor as his holy and blameless bride. And he does so by his forgiveness and grace. Maybe he means this passage to be a source of healing for you instead of hurt. Do you need to forgive your ex? Do you need forgiveness? There's an abundance of grace for both. And Christ offers it freely. Maybe you're in here today, you're not a Christ follower. My prayer is that this passage would persuade you to become one. Not because Christians have better marriages. We clearly don't. Okay? because of the sin that remains in us and our tendency to want our own self-sovereignty, but because marriage has always been designed to point us to Jesus Christ. The beauty of God's original design was that we would live in perfect unity with Him, willingly submitting ourselves to His good and loving leadership, but instead of trusting God, we believed that we could govern ourselves better than He could. Did God really say, don't eat from the tree? 
So we rebelled against him in our sin. But listen, where we failed, Christ succeeded. He submitted himself, submitted himself humbly to the will of the Father so that he could then lead many to repentance and restoration. In self-giving, sacrificial love, Jesus willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for our treacherous sin and rebellion. And he rose from the dead in power to lead sinners out of darkness and death and into the light of eternal forgiveness and grace. How could you not want that for yourself? Why not confess your need for him and submit yourself to Christ this morning? to his good and loving leadership. Marriage is an exercise in grace. Amen? Because it's dependent upon grace. Husbands and wives cannot do what God has called them to do unless God gives them the grace to do it. And Scripture tells us that God's, God gives grace to the humble. So in humility then, We ought to submit ourselves to Christ as our ultimate authority and see that that authority is wonderful. We ought to trust that that the roles that he's given us in marriage are designed not to to crush us, not not to perpetuate sin, but to display the gospel saturated beauty of his union with the church. And in love for one another, We ought to seek to fulfill those roles in obedience to Christ, not for our own advantage, but for unity in the Spirit and conformity to Christ. You and I both know that we won't do it perfectly, but we can do it faithfully, knowing that Christ himself is preparing us. He's preparing us as his own bride for this great wedding feast to come where he will present us, not by our own works, but by his. He will present us to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And we will live forever united to Christ and to one another in perfect love. Amen? Lord, we thank you for all the work that you've done in us and for the work that you continue to do through us. We pray this morning that your word and your word alone would penetrate our hearts, that we would receive it in humility by the power of your spirit, that we would be compelled in love by Christ himself to carry it out in obedience, not because we have to earn anything, not because we have to try to define who we are, but because you've already told us we are your beloved children. And you call us to walk in love, imitating our Father, submitting ourselves to our bridegroom. You are good, and you only ever do good. Help us remember that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.